0: Brooks Austin joining us here today, aka the film guy. Brooks, thank you for joining me today here on the Top Talk Talk.
1: I, I, man, Harrison, I'm always, you know, it's always a pleasure to be on here. I'm, I'm just curious, like, 23 Goat Talk Jordan, 34 Goat Talk Herschel. Like, what, is, is it just we're, we're cross branding? We're doing the basketball and the football? Like, I'm assuming that's what you're going for, right? You weren't going Shaq at 34.
0: You were, <laughs> you were, you were going Herschel, right, at 34? Gotta be Herschel at 34, but, you gotta know, be. We, we gotta pay some tribute to Jordan. I know you're a LeBron James guy, but let's be honest here, Jordan. Hey, still a 2-3 guy, man. Still a 2-3 guy.
1: Got a point, you know got what I'm saying? Point. Like, hey, it's, this is a LeBron James episode, and it's fitting that you've got the number one bronze stand in the world right here with you.
0: <laughs> got a point. Got a point there. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, you know, just off the bat for any listeners, you know, what, what, what makes LeBron James the GOAT in your opinion?
1: I mean, just all-around best basketball player, right? I mean, when when we're talking about tools of an athlete, I, w- I want you, especially a basketball player, I want you to be able to score. I want you to be able to run the offense. I want you to be able to play defense. I want you to be able to, be able to initiate offense, right, create offense for others, um, and just be an all-around leader. And when we're talking about superstardom, right, I want you to carry yourself with a, a level of professionalism that inspires GOAT conversations. It's exactly what LeBron James has done since he was 16 years old. I mean, St. Vincent, St. Mary's, Best passer on the team, best scorer on the team, best defender on the team. Cleveland for nine years, best passer, best scorer, best defender. Go down to Miami, might not have been the best defender on that roster at that time, but by the time his second year there, yeah, 100% the GOAT. Um, And then delivering a championship to Cleveland. I mean, that championship in my book, if I were to set a personal record book, probably counts for two. I mean, that, that Cleveland championship was very, very important, not only to the city, uh, but just breaking curses out there. I think it was like 51 years or whatever. Long story short, LeBron James is the GOAT of all time, the greatest of all time, period, in basketball because he will break the scoring record. He will be top five in assist, and most likely by the time he's done, Top five in re or top 10 in rebounds. That's never been done in the history of the NBA. Um, yeah, he'll hold every single statistical record there is. You can throw six, at six, six for six all you want at me, but I'll tell you six for 13, which is <laughs> how many years Michael played. Whereas, you know, LeBron might go five or six for 22, 23. I, I'm taking the longevity of the career. If I were to start a, start a franchise tomorrow, had both of them in their rookie seasons. I think almost all general managers would take LeBron because they know the the longevity, the 22 years, and the supremacy that he would ultimately carry over those 22 years. How about that?
0: You know, I I guess the really only way to test this is bring both of them to Atlanta and let them see if they can break the curse, the Georgia sports curse, as some people (laughs) believe there is out there. That is the only way we can test and ever find a true answer. Well, I
1: guess we'll never find a true answer.
0: <laughs> never know. LeBron, like you said, has some years running. I mean, he still has some years in him. So we, we could see. Yeah, so we maybe find out. Maybe maybe Bronny gets drafted
1: by the Atlanta Hawks. I think that's I know it's a Georgia Bulldogs podcast, but what would be interesting is to see where Bronny goes in the draft. And if it's not wherever LeBron's playing, whether or not he, you know, ups and, and, and dips from where he's playing, just go play with his son. I think that's the ultimate end goal, right? To play with this kid, if his kid's NBA caliber, which right now it's not looking like it.
0: Ooh, you know, we may we may have to hop into the hot takes here in a little bit in the earlier in the show and we we discuss maybe some things outside of Georgia. because it is fun to talk sports. I mean in general. You're gonna cut
1: all this. You're gonna cut all of it.
0: Not happening. We don't make cuts here in the top dog talk. You know, we're kinda we're kinda of like the nothing but rants, you know? We're we're unfiltered. We talk sports and we talk about what's on our mind.
1: But you're not live and you're not on camera, which are two Totally different totally animals. Different. Yeah, totally different animals. All
0: right, brother. I, w- what we got, man? We got some. We got some Georgia football talk. What we got? Most definitely, most certainly. You know, it's G Day Eve. Uh, very excited for some football to be back tomorrow. You know, it, it, it's, it's springtime, and and nothing more says springtime than football in Athens. So let's talk about right off the top. Obviously, some older news, but it is kind of still new, and it's fresh in the brains of Georgia fans. The addition of Tyke Smith. The defensive back from the University of West Virginia, uh, obviously, coached uh, played under co- the new DB coach, Jamel Aday, over there at West Virginia. Came over to Georgia this offseason to replace Long, t- uh, I think he was two, three years here, Charleston Warren, if my mind serves me correctly. You're right. You did a film breakdown on Tykee Smith, and I love what you had to say, to be frank. A lot of people love what you had to say and I see it being reverberated <laughs> all over social media, especially on Twitter, because we know Twitter is much of a copycat platform. You
1: yeah. Know, you, for sure.
0: You you hear something on YouTube, oh, it's gonna be said on Twitter. You know, I like that. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say it on Twitter. You know, very much like button, retweet, you know, all of this and that. But I wanna get your thoughts on Tyke Smith and you know, I want you to tell the listeners what you like about this kid and maybe something that we need to watch and see how he develops here in his time at Georgia, because he does have two years of eligibility uh, when he does come here in the summer.
1: Yeah, so I, I think if, if you were to take Tykee Smith, right, there's a lot of questions about, or originally there was a lot of questions before the breakdown about whether or not he's going to play corner, if he's going to play safety, you know, if, if he's going to play star. And I, I think, you know, the the just frame alone does not fit Kirby Smart's corner uh, profile, right? Think about Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, uh, DJ Daniel, Keely Ringo, Nylon Green. They all have one thing in common. They're all at least six foot and they're all like really, really stupid long in terms of their, you know, arm length and things like that. Tykee Smith is not one of those individuals. He's like 5'10, 5'11, maybe like 205 pounds, more of a box player. Um, so that, that rules out corner I- entirely just in, in terms of length. Cause again, it does not fit the physical profile that Kirby smart likes at corner. So take that out of the question now, safety to play safety in the sec, you, you, you got to run four or five or lower unless you your Richard account and have some of the most outrageous instincts in the history of Georgia football. So if you've got that, that's fine. We can let you play safety. Um, but even Richard, if you if you remember his time at Georgia, just think about all the big plays you remember, especially big hits that you remember of Richard. They were closer to the line of scrimmage, within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, him coming downhill, right? Not him. I mean, he had a lot of interceptions, a lot of broken up passes, but it's a lot of him free roaming in the back end. Not really a deep, high safety, and that's why he's kind of getting knocked in the NFL draft right now. They don't think he can play center field safety in the NFL. Same thing with Tykee. When I watch him on on film, and it's a great thing about West Virginia because he was their best defensive back, in my opinion, and when they were playing nickel, he was in the star. Now, when, when they went two outside backers, and ran a, a traditional 3-4 or needed to drop a DB and run a, a standard set, four defensive back set, Tyke moved back to safety. Now, I think that was more about him being the best player on their defense, so they wanted to ha- have him on the field. But at Georgia, in the SEC, with as much speed as there is on the field – I don't feel comfortable, and I don't think Georgia does, playing him at deep safety, nor do you need to. Chris Smith, Louisine, great football players are going to have a great year this year at Georgia, I believe. So let this young man play star because that's what he does best. Harrison, you know, the field is 53 and a half uh, yards wide. This individual is best covering those 35 yards in between and out, just outside the hashes, right? The extension of a box player. Like what we used to imagine with box uh, linebackers, box defenders, or whatever, 10 years ago, that's now extended to that middle of the slot, like extended outside the box type of area, which is where players like Tyke Smith become ultra valuable, right? Shutting down the screen game, shutting down the slant game, shutting down the RPO game. That's what this young man has come to Georgia to do. And that's what they needed him to do. There's a lot of talk this offseason about how bad they were at corner. Not necessarily how bad, but how down bad they are, if we're going to you know, use new terminologies. They were down bad at corner. Didn't have a whole bunch of depth, but they were also down bad at star. I mean, it was just uh, Latavius Bernie and gosh, he's got one career start. You needed extra depth there, period. So they got an All-American. They didn't get depth. They got starter quality, and that's what Georgia's looking for in the portal, and they got it right there with Tykee Smith.
0: And even going into this, you know, season before, the, even going into the offseason, you know, before Tyreek Stevenson left, we were still saying, you know, Georgia Georgia could be, a, you know, really bad off at corner because you look at the guys at the top, Eric Stokes, DJ Daniel, Tyson Campbell could all leave, you know, at the end of the season. And then they ended up opting out for the Peach Bowl. And you're like, OK, well, there goes our star guy. He's going to be our number one corner for this week against Cincinnati. Well, really, number two, because you saw a Tyson there. Um, yeah. So, you know, and all of that. But. George's you know going into this new that they were going to be down bad at the star and they need to bring someone in. Obviously, you know the comings and goings of Devod Wilson also hurt the year before the, the yeah, year before this time. last one, you know. It, it it's hurt now cuz it looks and like Devod could have been our number one corner yeah, on this roster.
1: Number one star for sure. I don't think Devod was ever going to play corner, um especially in the SEC. He's actually playing deep safety at UCF, but yeah, definitely like if I had a comparison, uh, I was telling people in the discord this all the time that Tyke Smith is what Davod Wilson might have turned into at Georgia at the star position. I mean, that's what that's the caliber of football player that I think of. Like if you remember Davod Wilson at Georgia, he's like 5'11", maybe 5'10 and a half, 5'11", 205, like a real thick, bouncy, explosive athlete. It's like the same thing Tykee Smith is. Neither one of them known for like elite top end speed. Like I guarantee if you set Davod Wilson out there he, on a 40 and, and trained him up, he might run a four five three four, five, five. He's a thick explosive athlete, but he's not long speed athlete. He's not a long speed athlete. Neither is Tyke. but they're great in short areas. Great in short bursts. That's exactly what a star is nowadays in college football. I need you to be big enough and physical enough to cover a tight end, cover a guy like a Rick Gilbert when he returns to the sec. Cause that's where I think he's going to end up being wherever, whatever he does this fall, but you get it right. These six, 230 pound tight ends that are mobile and agile like wide receivers because they've been playing on seven-on-seven playing seven since they were 12 years old. You need somebody to be able to cover that. You need someone to also be able to uh, cover a guy like Kadarius Toney, right, these short, quickie, uh, jitterbug-type slot receivers. You need somebody there. And you also need someone to run the alley and play great great run defense and run support defense. And honestly, I think that's where Tyke really excels. If he plays on Sundays, which I think he's got a great shot at doing, especially with his decision to come to Georgia, if he's going to play on Sundays, it's because he is a great run defender. He does not miss tackles. I think in four games of watching him start to finish, he did not leave the field. From start to finish, I think I saw him miss two open field tackles, maybe. Maybe. So he's like really, really elite in space, like in that alley where teams are going to run stretch zone at him and teams are going to run outside zone at him and teams are going to run bubble screens and teams are going to run tunnel screens at this dude next year for Georgia. He's going to be elite in open field tackling, and that's exactly what you need in terms of a fifth defensive back on the field or, in Georgia's case, a star or nickel defender.
0: Now, looking beyond, you know, you mentioned you think he has a great chance at playing on Sundays. You know, where do you liken him? Is he more of a? Is he going to transition to a box safety when he gets into the NFL? You know, more of a Keanu Neal type linebacker, you know, corner hybrid no. playing in the box, or is you he know, gonna be-
1: you know, Harrison. I I think college has has not necessarily slowly, but it, like quickly made its transition to the NFL in terms of offensive game plans. What these general managers are realizing, especially head coaches too, when they draft a young quarterback, well. It would be best that we put this young quarterback in an offense that he feels comfortable in, right? You don't see Kansas City running under center stuff. Why? Because Patrick Mahomes never ran a day in his life. You see a whole lot of college spread systems and college spread concepts more than systems making their way to the NFL, which as they make their way to the NFL with more three-by-one sets, teams running a whole lot of 11 personnel, no longer using a fullback, no longer really using a sniffer. in in, in professional football well that means there's 11 personnel there's three wide there's four wide receivers out there that need to be covered because tight ends have now become wide receivers essentially if teams are in three by one well you have no choice but to play nickel defense you have no choice but to play five defensive backs on the field at all times I think the last I checked numbers in the NFL not college football numbers in the NFL where that NFL defenses were playing nickel On like 65% of snaps, Harrison. So, yeah, like the nickel position has become extremely, extremely valuable in the NFL. So, they'll draft them as such. Igbik Nogni from Auburn last year. That is a nickel corner. He went in the first round of the NFL draft. He's never played outside boundary corner a day in his life. (laughs) And he was a first-round draft pick as a wide receiver in high school. He went and played nickel corner at Auburn for three or four years and was – a first-round draft pick, like that's what is happening with professional football too. It happened five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago with college football, and and I think the first team that I remember was probably Urban Meyer at Florida, and I know he started at Utah, but just the idea of just lining up all day long in three by one sets, it wasn't commonplace in college football. Now it's almost uncommon to see a team come out in anything but three by one or eleven personnel.
0: And, and you know. People probably, you know, it's not going to be long before people don't even talk about, you know, a sniffer, the guy, you know, a tight end or, you know, sometimes even a a fullback lining up behind the tackle and basically, you know, self-explanatory. But, you know, I mean, you you saw it in your film breakdown with Davin Bellamy this past week where Auburn was using these jumbo sets and all this and that. And, you know, it took, you know, for one strong lineman to try and penetrate this Auburn offensive line, which at the time was, I mean, probably really definitely better than the one they have. Really stout. Yeah, really stout. You know, they're big, they're large, you know, basically what you want in an uh, offensive line. But you also had to have, you know, competent linebackers who, like Roquan Smith, you know, who can run box to box and go make these tackles. And, you know, this is where a box safety kind of helps, you know. And I,
1: I know like- I know we're here to talk about spring football, but let's talk about football in general. like. Most people think the game's gone soft, right? You talk about the linebackers covering the whole 53-and-a-half, like covering sideline to sideline. That's a term we hear all the time, sideline to sideline linebackers. That's what you have to do to stay on the field all three downs in the NFL or even in college nowadays. But I can turn film on right now from last year where N'Kobe Dean, one play, is having to run from far hash to far sideline and cover, you know, what, 40 yards of the field and, and try to get someone at plus three for a tackle. And then the very next play, I can show you Alabama running insert zone at him and him having to come downhill and fill a hole in a gap. Like you have to the linebacker position nowadays, you have to be big enough to take on guards, take on tight ends in a pulling insert role. And you also have to be fast enough to run 53 and a half yards like the linebacker position nowadays is probably I, I would say it's the hardest position to play because of all the responsibilities that they're having. And it, even Georgia takes a little bit of that responsibility off of their linebackers because they don't ask a ton of them in pass protection or in pass uh, you know, coverage. They just drop them in, in safe zones and just let them hang out, read the quarterback's eyes. But the rest of the game is extremely, extremely difficult. And it requires a guy that's about six foot or above, about 225 pounds or above, and can run like a deer. So there's not a whole lot of those running around in this world. They look like Smile Mondon, right? 6'3", 225, 230 pounds is a world-class, almost Olympic level in high school in terms of a 100-meter 100 hur- or 110 hurdle runner. Like Smile Mondon is an incredible athlete. That's what the position looks like, right? It looks like Jalen Smith. It, it uh, looks like Roquan Smith, right? It looks like these guys that are 6'1 and above, six-foot and above, and can run 4'5". If you can't run 4'5", Four six, you're not playing on Sundays, period, point blank, at the linebacker position. Which, to bring it full circle, I think Monty Rice made himself a lot of money in that pro day running four five seven four six one because he showed on tape that he can actually cover. I've got I've got clips of him running with Jalen Waddle down the middle of the field against Alabama this year.
0: And I, I actually remember that clip. You know, him just in coverage. I mean, they had him in coverage. No, he, he got called for a he got
1: called for a PI, but the ball was underthrown just a little bit. Like he was there. I mean, he he was doing a good enough job.
0: Yeah, and you know this is what makes it even more kind of you know intriguing is that he's a two-down linebacker. Uh, right. Most of the time, he's a two-down linebacker. They bring on Channing Tindall. They brought on Take. Dean. The past.
1: N'Kobe Dean. All of twenty twenty or twenty nineteen. N'Kobe Dean was the third-down backer at Georgia. If they were out, you know, further than third and five, the opposition was at third and five or longer. N'Kobe Dean was on the field. Monty Rice was not. So like his junior year. There was serious questions about whether or not he could cover his senior year. It was like, hey, sorry, Tay's gone, so you're going to have to cover this year. And I thought he did a really, really good job. I thought he made himself some money, so much so that NFL evaluators, I've read scouting reports that weren't published by Dogs Daily that, you know, know, compliment Monty on his coverage ability, which is something – 12 months ago I would have been like what like he's never covered in his college career his senior year, He did a great job doing it. So yeah, he's made himself some money some serious money
0: And, and he's one of those guys like you said made a money on pro day and you know his film backs it up So that's that's awesome to see, you know, and I think you know the college games is going more towards I mean in the NFL now you have you know a guy like Keanu new who's playing linebacker as a safety, you know, he's a box safety playing down in the box acting as a linebacker and we're starting to see a little bit more of that here in the college game although you know it, it's the star position you know this was all the star position was created I mean, what, what do you want to say eight ten years ago you know sometime around yeah. when after ohio state you know beat the break uh not really beat the breaks, but beat oklahoma uh, a- alabama in that sugar bowl you know kind of started the change seeing everything going you know east west you know kind of going west coast type you know, trying to get to the outside and, it, you know, expose the bigger Alabama defensive front. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just, you know, college football is forever changing. You know, just four, you know, four four years ago, Georgia was playing for a national championship, you know, four years ago.
1: And, running, and, four, year, and four years ago, yeah, they were running 3-4. Like, Lorenzo Carter was playing a whole bunch in space. And nowadays, they're, they're just not going to do it. Like, even if they have the athletes, they prefer not to do it. Like, they have Adam Anderson. I would, on par, like, if you just take height, weight, speed, explosive numbers, and explosive measurements, Adam Anderson's right there with Lorenzo Carter. The only problem is... 2017 college offenses are totally different than what we have in 2021. And Davin in our film breakdown actually, you know, kind of laid truth to that. He was like, even if you got the guys, you're not going to do it. You're just not like, there's no point in doing it. Like why, why would I play Adam Anderson on first down when they're in three by one, if I can play techie Smith, it just makes no sense. Um, And that's what you're seeing happening to college football. And it's been like, like you said, it's been like that for about half a decade, at least in terms of teams, Playing base personnel in nickel defense, the only SEC defense that I know that when they face a spread offense or a modern offense in college football at this point, um, because now what a spread offense looks like is uh, Mississippi State under uh, Mike Leach. But Georgia's running a spread offense. Alabama's running a spread offense. uh, LSU's damn sure running a spread offense. They're all running it. Mississippi State's just running it totally different. So with the way college football has gone, you have to have five DBs on the field at all times. Georgia, matter of fact, prefers to play six a lot of the times over the last two years.
0: You, you know, and, and just the way the defense has changed, That's not even to mention, you know, Georgia was running a 3-4 defense like Burke said, but they were also running a risk adverse offense, you know, trying to take as much pressure yeah. off of, of a young quarterback at the time who you were relying on, you know, two basically greats in your backfield in Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. You know, in four years, offense has changed tremendously, and Facts. you know the defense right now is—I don't know if you would you say it's trying to play catch up, or are they developing as well at the same pace?
1: You know, I, I think the defense is in a position now where, like you, you projected four, maybe five of those guys to leave last year. I don't know going into the season if they could have sat down and legitimately said, "Yeah, Eric Stokes is gone. We just need to just mark them off for next year. We need to recruit as if Eric's gone." Well, that's, that's one thing, recruit as if Eric's gone. Well, now we got to recruit as if Tyson's gone. Oh, and Tyreek Stevenson's going to hit the portal. Um, and, by the way, none of these guys in the defensive backfield is going to get or allowed, are, are going to be allowed to get. We're going to select to come back for an additional year. So, yeah, going into this season, you expected to lose three, four, maybe five guys in that defensive backfield. You look up and it's six, and now, yeah, you've got a little bit of a problem. So, in terms of catching up, Uh, to their offensive standards, I think a lot has been talked about because offense is fun, guys. I mean, like when I'm sitting down writing articles, I know based off my analytics, you're going to read a lot more about the offense than you even do the defense, whether that's implicit bias, whatever it is. I know for a fact you care more about offense. Offense is more fun, even though the defense is great. So Georgia's defense this year is going to be good. Are they going to be, you know, 20 points or less like they've been the last three years? I don't know. I don't think so, but that's mostly because – Their offense is actually going to drive the ball down the field. They're going to score quickly. They're going to turn it over just a little bit more. That's Todd Munkin's MO. When he's given the reins, his offense has turned the ball over. But they score a hell of a lot of points. So that means your defense is going to be on the field a lot more. And now your defense maybe might not be as good as it was the last couple of years. So you're going to need to score a lot more points.
0: And, And we've seen, you know, just in, I mean, really this year, you know, Alabama has statistically, I believe it was the number one defense in the SEC. And by all means, I would try and argue with you that Georgia, talent-wise, when you rank up all the defenses just by talent, blue-chip prospects, Georgia had the most talented defense, yet, you know, it didn't come to fruition, you know, for many reasons. Obviously, offense has changed. Their schedule was harder. It was a COVID season. And and then you also had the attrition of injuries and all that. But Alabama still ranked number one in defense and still went on to have a borderline historic offense and still won a national championship. Yeah. Yeah things are changing, which brings us, you know, to a great transition. We talked about how the M.O. this year is going to be trying to score fast. You know, like you said, more turnovers, moving the ball vertically downfield through the passing game, not the running game. But the running game is still a big part of what Georgia wants to do because that's, you know, Georgia's running back you, as Kendall Milton said in the press conference this week. Brooks, you know, one of the things that can change all that is injuries to start players. And we have one at the beginning of yeah. uh, spring camp. You know, George Pickens went down with the Terran ACL. And it looks like he's going to be out for, you know, if not all of the season, majority of the season, depending on when he can get back. You know, Wilson made that I think comeback. it's
1: I think it's more dependent upon where Georgia is when he's available to come back. But go ahead.
0: You, you know, like you, and that also factors into it. If Georgia's make making a playoff run, then yeah. yes, I think George will have urgency to get back. Um, but if they're not, if they're playing in the New Year's Six Bowl. You know, he, he could just say, all right, I'm going to ta- take time to recover and potentially go look at the NFL yeah you know, a look at the nfl driving.
1: or or i'll see you next year um i'll be honest man like i i don't know how many people are really like nfl evaluators they know george is immensely talented but there's a whole lot of talent out there man like the the wide receiver i think last year it's like eight wide receivers drafted in the first two rounds something crazy like that in the nfl so there's a whole lot of wide receiver talent out there in the in college football and if you're not producing i know i know everyone's going to throw their jamar chase example at me but Jamar Chase was sitting out his junior year coming off of a Bolitnikoff award-winning season where he had 1,700 yards. So I don't see that happening for George. Like, George had 300 yards as a freshman, 300 yards as a sophomore, and now he's hurt. So, like, are NFL evaluators just going to take a gamble on a guy that's like that just because he's uber-talented? Yeah, there's uber-talented guys every year. But the NFL is about evaluating risk versus reward. There's a lot of reward with George, but there's also a lot of risk. And we all know that as people who have been around the Georgia program or fans of the Georgia program, as much as I love George Pickens, there is a ton of question marks, not only just, uh, just about his game in general, we just attack his game alone. Nothing outside, you know, because half of the evaluation when it comes to top elite NFL draft picks is that off the field character evaluation. Let's not even address that. George is not a hundred percent like a a developed route runner at this at this point. He's not even close. He's not even close to the level of explosive athlete that Jamar Chase was. Jamar Chase, this year in his pro day, I think he ran 4-4-1, jumped over 40 inches, and had one of the fastest short shuttles in the NFL pre-draft process this year. That dude's a freak athlete. I don't think anyone's sitting here saying George Pickens is a 4-4 runner, an elite 5'10, 5 shuttle guy. None of that. Like George might be a 4-5 guy with late separation. St- still can really, really succeed on Sundays, but That's not really first-round caliber measurables. And I don't think he has those right now, which means he's going to have to absolutely rack up stats if and when he gets back on the college football field.
0: And, and, you know, Jamar Chase is looking like a, you know, right now it's going to be a top-five draft pick over the Heisman winner, Devontae Smith. And over over
1: Kyle, maybe, maybe over Kyle Pitts, like, over a whole bunch of wideouts that are absolutely elite. And, uh, you know, we're 31 minutes into this podcast right now, and we haven't talked anything about spring practice so or spring G-Day. So that, that's the way great podcasts go. You just let the conversation go where it is. But let's talk some G-Day, my guy. I'm not trying to run your show, but let's talk some G-Day.
0: Most definitely. And, you know, first up, you know, the receivers are – it, it, the offense is, you know, front line and center for G-Day because usually it's kind of like the all-star game in the NBA where not much defense is played. That's, you know, typically that's how it is. I don't know how it's going to be this year. Uh, You know, Mike, you know, there's a lot of expectations, and I feel like it's our duty as part of the media to kind of temper expectations. I, I, I've seen people on social media saying JT Daniels is going to throw three touchdowns. He's going to go four touchdowns. You know, he's going to go yard and go ham in this spring game. You know, what are your expectations for JT Daniels in this game, you know, Granted, he's going to be playing with you know an offensive line. He's had a whole spring now to kind of get used to, and they're you know trying to shuffle to see who are the best five. Yeah, what are your expectations? Definitely Um, some holes.
1: I'll be honest with you, man. Like whoever's out here expecting Georgia to come out and throw the kitchen sink in their G day games, absolutely out of their mind. Like it it would be one thing if they're opening the season against Virginia. They are opening the season against Clemson. You are going to see the most basic version of Todd Munkin's offense you've ever seen in your life tomorrow. Uh, is what I would imagine. You're going to see the cut and dry day one, week one install from this Georgia offense. Matter of fact, if they come out Saturday and run it 50 times of 70 plays, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I know for a fact that if they've been experimenting with any type of new play design, any type of new wrinkles in the offense, that stuff's been done in practice, behind closed doors, against the number ones. They have been competing their backside off all camp against their own defense, against their second team defense, against whoever it is. And they've been competing, competing, competing. I mean, going after it, like every college football program does in, in the spring period of practice. But that does not mean that George is going to come out and show the full you know, kitchen sink in, in terms of what they're doing offensively. They're going to be very vanilla Saturday, I, I believe. I, I don't think Kirby – I mean, Kirby, I think he's done four press conferences this year in spring practice, four. I like, guess it. Um, he's not one to talk to the media. He's not one to share information with the media. And he's damn sure not one to go on national television and show everyone what he's got in store Uh, September 4th that's just not his mo so if you're expecting fireworks on Saturday in Athens I'm sorry and what I don't want to see is people going to their timeline and saying oh this offense hasn't gotten any better this offense yada 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 they're vanilla they look no different than they did last year they shouldn't they should not matter of fact they should come out and run the same exact script word for word play for play like they did against Cincinnati that's what they ought to do and you know what Kirby's probably got that in the back of his mind as well
0: and I'm sure it's the same thing defensively. Obviously, you don't want to show more. You Big know, facts. You don't want to show your hand, you know? Yeah. You did the breakdown of the Cincinnati game. You knew what they were running. You explained it to all of us, you know? They're probably going to be running the same thing. And, you know, offensively, they're probably not going to want to show some of their new weapons, you know? No. I think it's it's valuable to get guys like Adoni Mitchell and Justin Robinson, these guys, you know, Ladin McConkie, you know, experience. But they ain't going to be showing, you know, Arian Smith running, you know, deep posts and all of this and that, you know, whatever you want to do with them exactly. you know, for 40, 50 yard touchdown.
1: Like I I can get my guys reps. I can get great evaluation points because that's what spring scrimmages, spring practice. That's, what's it about. that's what it's about. It's about getting enough on tape that I can spend my entire summer evaluating the players that I currently have on my roster. And then when they get here in August, we'll start it all over again with a new set and a new game plan in terms of where we're going based off what's happened this off season. It's not about reinventing the wheel. It's not about you know getting out there and getting comfortable in a new offensive set. It's that's nothing that it's about. It's about hey, if I run inside zone, did my five offensive linemen win? If I run you know a basic smash concept where I got a a a, a slant from the first receiver and a corner from number two, did either one of those guys win their route? I don't have to come out and throw all my cover three man beaters in spring game just to prove that I could beat my own defense. That's not what it's about spring practices about getting enough on tape to where I can spend the next two or three months evaluating what I saw on tape in the most game-like situation and most highly intensive competitive environment that I can possibly get before we get to August and camp starts again.
0: So if you're sitting here with a list of your expectations for GDA, I would go ahead and mark off um, an air raid show. I, I don't think we'll see that. So go ahead and cross that off your list. Next up, obviously, you know, away from JT. We do have a little quarterback duel going on for QB too. Um, you know, uh, uh, I'm excited to see, you know, these young guys come out and compete, you know, not only at receiver, not only at offensive line, not only on the defense, but at QB, I mean, Carson Beck, Yeah, he's been in the headlines a lot in the weeks leading up to this. You know, I think that's where you could maybe see, you know, two or three touchdowns out of, you know, some of these other guys, just because, you know, I think, you know, you posted on your timeline, you said it yourself. If I'm Carson Beck, I'm throwing every deep ball I have a chance at, you know?
1: Yeah, nothing more dangerous in the world of college football than a backup quarterback who's comfortable in the offense. Absolutely nothing. Like, he has nothing to lose. If he comes out Saturday and just throws nothing but deep balls, I'm going to commend him. I don't care if he throws interceptions. I do not care. I don't care if he goes eight for 17. If he's willing to take shots, take risk, and, and, and risk it to get the biscuit. Like, that's what it's all about for Carson right now. Like, georgia's fan base my timeline my mentions are flooded with brock Vandergriff and gunner stockton just absolutely uh you know love like that's all that's there nobody's really talking about carson this is carson's opportunity for the entire offseason next year you know, leading up to g-day like january through march april for for georgia's fan base to go well you know Carson threw like three touchdowns and four of them, or three of them, were deep balls. Like all three of them were like huge touchdowns in the spring game. Maybe we should give Carson a try. And I'm not here to say that that matters, but narrative matters, right? And narrative matters. Like Kirby Smart doesn't care, but the fan base does, and and that kind of matters. Um, if we saw anything with the Justin Fields Jake Fromm decision, it's that jo- Georgia's fan base is going to be extra hypercritical if you know they choose the wrong guy i think that's what georgia fans are terrified of when it comes to these three guys uh carson brock and gunner georgia fans go to sleep every night with a fear that they're going to choose the wrong guy and that the other guy is going to go and play for two college football playoffs and be third in the heisman and stuff like that like we saw with justin fields and be a top 10 pick that's the fear but I don't think this coaching staff is entering this with that kind of fear. I don't think they care. I think they're being very, very honest with these two quarterbacks, especially the ones that are on the roster now. It's like, look, we have an open competition, and I'll, I'll, I already told the Patreon folks, so I'll break news here. I think it's coming out tomorrow. Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff are going to be on the same team in G-Day. They're going to be competing. That's what it's all about. Now, Carson might get more reps than Brock, but they're both going to be on the same team, working with the same units, working with the same wide receivers, and running basically the same place that's what this is all about if you're if you're focused on anything in the quarterback room that's what I'd be watching hey Carson came out here with the twos unit and drove the length of the field or Carson came out here and really was stagnant for three or four series where Brock came in and, and invested a little bit of life into this offense those are the kind of things that I'd watch closely on Saturday but again it's grain of salt man like we we are 18 months from either of these two deciding who's going to be the starting quarterback. That's how far we are from it. Think about it. We are September of 2022 before this discussion even matters. Like what happens from now until September of 2022 definitely matters, but the narrative around it does not because the only narrative that matters is what's going on in that film room and what's going on in Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin's mind. That's it. And, uh, you know, today, Saturday is just a, you know, a starting point in that.
0: And it's also a starting point. You know, we have other competitions and, your native position that you played during your career, throughout your career, even Did your I? college career, offensive line. You know we got competition there. You know, Did I? whether people like it or not, we got a competition. Yeah. You yeah.
1: Know? I, 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 no, I, I was just gonna say I got I got a, a theory. Like it, it's the tackle position that most people are concerned about, right? Like you know, Jamari Sawyer went healthy, when he gets back to healthy, not you know nursing knee injuries that or knees that he had scoped in the off season. Um, the the guard center guard position, I mean they're they're I'm not gonna say they're locked up, but I'm gonna tell you Warren Erickson is a fan favorite in that coaching staff. So he's got a major leg up at the center position. Justin Schaefer came back for a reason. That dude's not coming off the field, barring any injury at either right or left guard. And like I said, Jamari came back to Georgia his senior year to play guard. The NFL wants to see him play a full season at guard in the SEC. That's where he's going to play. Okay. So All this, well, he played left tackle last year. That's fine. I get it. They needed a left tackle last year. They didn't have one. So Jamari went out there. He came back. Team player. Yeah, team player. But he also came back under the presumption that, you know, this isn't me telling you sourced information. I'm just telling you that the NFL likes him at guard. He came back to to play guard. So that leaves a question at left tackle and only left tackle because Warren McClendon, bona fide. But that dude's going to play on Sundays. I'm telling you right now. He can do one thing at an absolute elite level that NFL teams pay for, and that's protect the passer. The dude's got some of the best pass pro tape I've seen at Georgia at a tackle position, and that's you know right there underneath Andrew Thomas. The rest of the guys have been you know average to slightly above average. Warren McClendon is elite. Andrew Thomas was elite in college football. So my theory is that he's been repping at right tackle for a reason. He has not moved up to left tackle, despite the fact that he has a left tackle profile. Now he's weak at the point of the – not weak. I'm going to say he's below average at the point of the attack in the run game, and he's an elite pass pro guy. That's a left tackle. That is not a right tackle. You run majority of your run plays. I would say 60 to 40%. 60% of your run plays are to the right. It's, just, it's best for the quarterback. They, if they're right-handed, they show that left hand, and then they're immediately set up into their play-action pass. So, like, your right tackle is your predominant run blocker. That's not McClendon, but I think they're leaving that left tackle position open in hopes and in prayers that Broderick Jones is ready come this fall. Because, I, guys, I, I like Xavier Truss. I, I think he's got you know one source, and this is funny, he said he's got the goods. Like He's got the goods, dude. He can play left tackle if that's what happens. But the ceiling of Georgia is Broderick Jones playing left tackle, and I think that's why they haven't moved Warren over there. In ho- again, in hopes and prayers that Broderick can step in and play Come some point this fall, whether or not it's against Clemson, whatever. Um, But, yeah, I I called it the amphibian theory uh, yesterday or two days ago in my NBR sessions. And here's why. Amphibians, right? They live on both land and water. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, playing left tackle and playing right tackle is like living in land or living on land. And right tackle is like living in water. Well, Broderick Jones really only comfortable living on land right now. He ain't comfortable swimming around in the water, okay? So he cannot play right tackle at this point. I don't trust him to do it. I've seen him in person, and granted it was in high school, try to work right tackle. One of the most athletic individuals I've covered ever on the recruiting circle looked like he could not walk and chew gum playing right tackle. <laughs> That's what it looked like. I mean, he, was, he is absolutely the most athletic physical specimen when you take all things into consideration. Six, six and a half. 300 plus pounds uber athlete can't walk and chew gum on the right side just can't figure it out he's he's not amphibious he cannot swim in both water and live on land he can't do it so they're hoping and praying i would imagine he can play left tackle this fall so um that that's another thing i'm I'm really interested to see on spring game you know on on g day i've i've been told broderick's up to about 315 maybe even close to 320 pounds This is a dude that's added on a significant amount of weight. And I think Georgia's fan base is going to see it on Saturday just how thick this dude is from the waist down. But Harrison, I think he's getting, you know, starting to get comfortable in his body because he's added a lot of weight, man. This is a guy that 24 months ago was a defensive end slash tight end his junior year of high school, played a little bit of tackle, but he was 6'5, 6'6, 275 pounds soaking wet. Talking about, you know, 45, 50 pounds being added onto that frame in two years and I think he's kind of you know figuring out what to do with the weight Um, I was told he got beat on a couple speed rushes in the last couple scrimmages and I'll tell you Harrison and you you say offensive line is my bag it's my area never in my lifetime that I ever think Broderick Jones was going to be getting speed rushed in college and that's a direct indication of the fact that the young man is not quite comfortable yet holding that new body and he'll get there and I think Georgia like I said I think Georgia's staff is hoping that he gets there by august
0: now let me ask you this uh where does tate ratledge factor into all this we know he's moved into guard frankly most of that 2020 class has moved into guard uh, yeah. most of those tackles have moved to guard where does he factor into all this because we've heard you know from the outside looking in we've seen he's transforming his body a little bit obviously he has the little mullet going um up at the top but where does he factor into all of this does he get a look at tackle if they were to move McClendon over to the left, or does he stay put at guard? Uh, you know, playing behind Schaefer and and, and Salyer, presumably who yeah. plays at guard.
1: I think you got enough guys competing, enough legitimate tackle prospects in terms of Trust Jones and Amarius Mims competing at tackle. Tay Rallage is a guard, guys. He's six foot seven, three hundred and twenty pounds ish. Um, already, kind of. Kirby talks about him playing faster, and I, I'm going to tell you what that means in coach speak. Playing faster means I need you to learn the playbook a bit more so you can actually play fast. It's not that he's slow. He's a good, he's an above average athlete at the guard position. He's just thinking too much because he doesn't quite know what's going on with it, you know, in front of him and what his responsibilities are. And I'll tell you a quick, you know, film related story that conveys this point. If you go back and watch the all 22 tape against, and Harrison, I know you're trying to get your hands on it. If you go back and watch the all 22 tape against Auburn, just go and tell me what you see, and I'll, I'll, I'll spoil it for you. I'll tell you what I saw. I saw Cedric Van Pran and Tate Routledge breaking the huddle. As they were walking to the line of scrimmage, Tate would look over at Cedric and kind of give him the, the offensive line lingo of, hey, wh- what are we doing? What do I got to do? And then it would get to the line of scrimmage, and he'd ask again. He'd look over, and once he saw the defensive front, he'd look at Cedric, and Cedric would kind of tap him and tell him where to go, and then he'd go. So it tells me one freshman at center knows what's going on. The other freshman at guard didn't didn't quite feel comfortable in the playbook. So I would extrapolate that to where we are now. Maybe he's you know 100% better in terms of knowledge of the playbook. He should be. It's been a a, a year now since he's been on campus. But maybe that 100% increase only put him to about 80% of the offense in terms of knowledge of where you're supposed to go and and concepts of where you're supposed to be and, and combination blocks and all that good stuff. Uh, pass protections and all that stuff. Well, if you only know 80% of the playbook, 20% of the plays, you're going to look slow. That's what coaches are talking about when they say, yeah, I got to get you to play faster. But no, I, I don't see Tate moving back out to tackle. Um, the foot speed is a major question. Same thing for Chad Lindbergh, um, you know, another 2020 guy that ended up kicking into guard. It's just a matter about foot speed. You have to be an absolute elite, elite uh, athlete to play tackle. Uh, in the SEC, and, and that's what you're seeing. You're seeing guys like Micah Morris kicking the guard. I don't know where the heck Dylan Fairchild's going to play, and to be honest with you, I don't think the coach, coach staff knows. So, um, Amarius Mims, guy that can play tackle. Project Jones, guy that can live out at tackle. Uh, Xavier Truss gets by at tackle. Warren McClendon lives at tackle. Jamari Sawyer needs to be a guard. You follow me? It's the body types, it's the athleticism, and it's really the foot speed that you got to be worried about out there at tackle.
0: And, you know, after all that, then it's the technique and really learning the position and, and developing and growing into that. And, you know, the one matchup I'm watching for, you know, whoever's playing at the tackle positions, because, you know, I, watching the Cincinnati game back, you know, I, recalling Xavier Trust's performance, I realized, you know, it was the same guy giving both tackles trouble. I believe his name was My J. Sanders. Yep. Hey, My J. Right. Sanders, you he's know, from, speed he's, rusher.
1: He's actually from Camden County. Okay. Okay. Interesting.
0: South South you know? Georgia boy, man. Yeah, who maybe went under the radar, uh, you know, from you know by Georgia and all that, or you know some of these bigger schools, <laughs> and, and ended up going Cincinnati. But you know, it, he's a speed rusher. He's kind of like Adam Anderson in the way. Uh, you know, I'm I'm watching that matchup for both these tackles. I want to see Adam Anderson go up against both these tackles and kind of challenge them.
1: Yeah, I mean. And and these are tackles apart from McClendon that really really struggle with speed rush. Like you said, like all all those guys that get beat, uh, you know, between Truss and, and and Broderick Jones this spring, it's been on speed rushes. And I would venture to say that the guy getting them, um, the guy beating them, is probably like you said, Adam. Even though no one's got an above average, you know, burst initial, you know, quick step. Um, but he's more of a, you know, just an all around kind of pass rusher. If you're trying to get home, it's with Adam. It's not necessarily with Nolan. Nolan's much better in the run game. But yeah, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see, especially with, like we said, to, or to open the show, with how good that front seven is. If, if Georgia comes out tomorrow and gives up four or five sacks, like, don't be surprised. Like, Jalen Carter is virtually unblockable. He's going to be. Uh, the, the text I got was, Jalen Carter is still Jalen Carter, if not more. Um, he, he's gonna be dominant on Saturday, as will Jordan Davis if he gets opportunities to rush the passer. Um, and Devontae Wyatt, especially super slept on in terms of the ability to get after the quarterback in passing downs and in passing situations. That interior offensive line and the edge rusher specifically are gonna probably give Georgia offensive lines problems uh tomorrow.
0: Now, here's 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 the main question. You 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 said it. Here's the big if. You know, how much will Georgia rush? JT Daniels, you know, Kirby Smart has pointed it out teams like to bring pressure. Teams like cover zero. You know, they want to put pressure on JT Daniels. They want to put him on his back because that neutralizes the offense. If they can put him on his back, he can't make a throw when his knee is down. Can't yeah. do that against the rules. You know, how much will Georgia unleash these dogs as we call them? These wolves, these pack of wolves in the front seven to go get them.
1: So just like we talked about them being vanilla offensively, they're going to do the same thing defensively. If, if defensive linemen are getting home on JT, it's because they literally won their one-on-one. They will not be running slants. They will not be running stunts. They will throw a very, very moderate blitz package. I mean, as simple as can be. Um, again, just to not – they don't want to put anything that they're actually going to use in September on tape tomorrow. They might put the basic stuff in there, right? Like inside zone is inside zone. You can't really fancy it up. But um and, and a basic blitz and a gap is a basic blitz and a gap. You can't really fancy it up. But in terms of the exotic slants, the exotic stunts, the exotic blitzes, corner blitzes, safety blitzes, uh boundary blitzes, uh star position blitzes, you're not gonna see that on Saturday, I would imagine. If I'm a head coach, I'm not doing any of it. Matter of fact, if no one Kirby smart, like I said to start. If he comes out tomorrow, runs base 425 and offensively hands the ball off, more power to him. I'm I'm, I'm good with it. I know fans are going to be mad at it. As a football guy that respects what they've got coming September 4th, I'm I'm all here for Kirby Smart coming out tomorrow and say, "Hey folks, I appreciate y'all for coming. SEC Network Plus, I appreciate you for being here. Brooks Austin, I appreciate you for doing your live stream on YouTube and multiple platforms that you guys can check out starting tomorrow at one forty-five. I appreciate all you guys doing that, but we're here to just be here. We're here to have G-Day. We're here to accept the 30,000 fans in attendance. We're here to accept Brooks' exceptional breakdowns of our basic-ass offense and basic defense, and we're here to get out healthy. Like, if that's what happens tomorrow, more power to him, more power to him. Matter of fact, I'd do the same thing.
0: And, and you know, you, I mean, hit the nail on the head. I mean, they're going to be running the same stuff the Pro Bowl runs in terms of playbook Facts. and install. It's going to be the QB run, walking into the huddle and saying, you do a slant, you you know, you go deep, you know, backyard football stuff. And the defense line is going to be like, all right, you know, we, we aren't running slants. I'm just going to beat my guy one on one and try and get with the quarterback. That's it. You know
1: hundred percent. Like, like we already hit on it. It's gonna be very vanilla tomorrow, but it's gonna be super exciting because we haven't seen it. Like, it's been closed. Uh, Arkansas had open spring practices. LSU had open spring practices. Missouri had open spring practices. Everybody in the SEC has allowed fans and media into their spring practice. Georgia, nah, heck no. So you're gonna get your first and only look at Georgia tomorrow until september and that is by nature that is by design and that's it this is the first and only look publicly not through sources not through people watching the game on the bridge not through so and so's mom or dad that was in attendance because they're you know their son's the backup fourth string wide receiver that's a walk-on or backup safety's 12th down the depth chart that's a walk-on that's out here giving information it's not going to be that it's going to be we can see you it's on tape it's on film And for that reason, and mostly for that reason, the other portion of that reason being that Clemson's going to watch, you're not going to see anything. You're not going to see much at all. You're going to see a very, very uh, disciplined football team, a very technically sound football team, and a day-one install on both sides of the uh, line of scrimmage.
0: And, you know, obviously being wary of the time, we're approaching that one-hour mark, so we're going to hit it with our last segment here. Obviously, you know, the people want to know who to watch. You know, not – we know what we're watching, but who we watching. <laughs> so let's kick it off with, you know, just three offensive players. Who are your guys that you're going to say on your live stream at 145, you know, go ahead and plug the YouTube channel. What is your YouTube <laughs> channel for the people at home listening to us right now?
1: Yeah, I'm not like super well versed in how to find my YouTube channel. I just tell people to search Brooks Austin YouTube on Google cuz we're all searching crap on Google anyway. So, yeah, just type that in. Odds are, I'm the first person to pop up i think i'm the only brooks austin with a youtube channel so yeah check that out um we will be there live at 145 tomorrow but in terms of offensive players that i'm trying to see justin robinson's not gonna i don't think he plays tomorrow so at that point like we got matt landers off the roster transferred trey blunt off the roster transferred makai tongue off the roster transferred george pickens not available injured jermaine burton not available injured Justin Robinson, not available injured. So that is six X or Z receivers. In other words, layman's terms for people at home, the outside receivers, that's six of them that aren't going to be available on Saturday. This is a very, very thin group, which means Adonai Mitchell is going to have an opportunity. The freshman uh, from Tennessee by way of Houston, Texas, he's been a i mean one of the talks of camp i think carson becks for me has been the biggest talk of camp um so he would be another guy i'm watching offensively but those two guys offensively and i I, we talked about it already i want to see what broderick jones holds up like at left tackle um you know it's gonna be great to see young guys like amarius Mims um out there i want to see what lavasia carroll does on defense but offensively the three guys i'm watching Adonai mitchell Broderick Jones, uh, and, of course, Carson Beck. Those are the guys. And you know what? Like, from what I've heard, Brock Vandegrift has made plays with his legs, but what does the arm do on Saturday? Has he, you know, absorbed uh, a general percentage of the offense enough for him to be effective? That's the problem. When when you when you got quarterbacks that are still digesting the playbook, um, still consuming the playbook, don't know it, aren't 100% confident in it, uh, you're going to have a guy that's probably playing Relatively slow, going through his reads relatively slow, and ultimately revolting back to what he knows best, which is escape. So I think you're going to Brock run around a lot tomorrow, which will be fun. It'll be he'll cool. Freelance. Uh, yeah, he'll freelance a lot, but I want to see if that dude flashes. So I know it's a lot more than three names, but uh, it's a lot to look at uh, offensively, but even more defensively.
0: Same here, pretty much. I got Carson back. Uh, I got I got a lineman. I put Tate Routledge down because I want to see him. Where he lines up, obviously, we think it's going to be guard. Luck, most bro. likely going to be guard. Good, but good I luck watching my guard.
1: Good, I mean, yeah, it's going to be fun, but good luck seeing that crap on the TV copy. <laughs> I mean, good good luck seeing that junk from the sideline. People going to be like, oh, Tate Rattler's had a great day. Did he? Did he? <laughs> do, you, do you really know? Like, do, do you know? Or did you just not hear his name called? Like, that's the thing. And, and you know, I'm an O line guy. You already said it. I'm kind of a, uh, you know, stickler when it comes to. People listening to people talk about it, how on earth can you sit there and evaluate offensive linemen without the end zone copy of the All-22? You can't do it. You absolutely can't do it. So, um, yeah, it will be really, really tough to get a look at those offensive linemen except for when they just get absolutely brutalized and whipped like a redheaded stepchild. If that happens, you're going to know. But otherwise, it's going to be a pretty quiet day from offensive linemen, from a fan's perspective. What will be interesting is on Monday when you check out, check out patreon.com forward slash Brooks Austin and I give you the practice notes on what actually they thought about how people executed. That'll be the important thing for those offensive linemen. Every other skill position, quarterback, running back, you're going to be able to see for the most part on Saturdays those, those front seven guys. You ain't got a clue. You're talking out of your butt if you think you can talk about front seven, offensive line, defensive line, line of scrimmage play. Without the all twenty two, you're absolutely doing a disservice to anybody <laughs> if you think you can go out there and talk about that kind of stuff.
0: And my last offensive guy, a little under the radar, guy who you know signed back in January. He's in Athens now, Jackson Meeks. Because I think you mentioned it. Obviously, we got a lot of receivers out. I think he'll get a few reps. Yeah. And I kind of want to see what he does, even if it's with the second teamers. That's valuable experience for the man. Yeah, a
1: little, a little Lad McConkie, too. I know, I know, Ooh, another Lad- good name, Lad McConkey is one of the highest click-rated football players at Georgia right now. If I wrote an article on Lad McConkie, which I haven't done in quite a while because it's not really necessary. It might be necessary tomorrow, um, but haven't done it in a while. But, dude, that guy draws clicks. So a little you know, tip for the uh, Top Dog uh, website over there, Top Dog blog. You know, I ought to write nothing exclusively Ladd McConkie articles. And then when Logan Johnson gets there, only write Logan Johnson
0: articles. And, and lastly, but not least, three guys on defense, you know, kind of already, took. you know, can't really watch any linemen, but, you know, I, 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 just, got the, <laughs> I just got the usual Channing, Tyndall and Amir Speed, because Amir Speed kind of getting lost in the sauce here in the media, not really hearing much. Channing Tyndall, I want to see that next step, you know, forward just because he's a linebacker and he's competing with Quay Walker to be, you know, the sidekick to N'Kobe the Dean. I want to see what he does on saturday and you know you, you kind of already uh busted that one because he's in the front seven so really i mean we're Bro, gonna see my pass covers i didn't mean really to, really i didn't blitz.
1: mean to crap on you or, yeah. or or ruin your segment i'm just saying <laughs> like when you're watching Dude, you're bringing it, the truth
0: though it's, but you yeah know? It's,
1: it's just a pet peeve of mine when people go and try to talk about offensive line play when they're not watching the end zone cut how do you know <laughs> How do you know what's going on? How do you even know if that's a shade technique or a two-eye or a three? Because guess what? That affects what's going on. It affects the schematics of what's happening in front of them. So without it, don't tell me. Don't come in here and tell me how well someone played unless you look at the All-22. And I've said it from the jump. And we'll get to. I'll give you my three, guys, after I finish this rant about tape. <laughs> tape is so valuable. The, the head coach of your favorite program, if you're listening to this, the head coach of your favorite program, when Brooks Austin or whatever media member asks him a question after the game and says, Coach, how did Tate Ravage play tonight? And he's going to look at you and say, well, I thought he played okay, but I really got to go back and look at the tape. The head football coach of an SEC program that is paid $3.5 million a year looks at you in your face and tells you, before I give an opinion, I got to go watch the tape the hell are you doing writing articles with opinions without watching the tape that's that's what i'm here for like that's that's the whole reason i do what i do defensively latavius bernie that dude's got a headhunter coming for his job this fall what does he look like tomorrow that's a very very vital point uh defensive line wise i I know i told you they weren't going to be given the whole bag but I don't need the All-22 tape to know whether or not guys are giving free goes. Like, if they're given two-way goes, if they're allowed to get after the quarterback, that's different than what they've been doing in years past at Georgia like I expected to be this fall. Um, so, you know, front seven guys, I'm, I'm watching them all. Jordan, Jalen, uh, Devontae. Uh, I want to see what Marlon Dean looks like. That dude Ooh. from IMG, right, three-star, whatever. You know, I'm not a starters guy. Underrated prospect. Didn't make our SI All-American uh, list. None of that. Uh, he was an All-American all candidate, but did not make it. Didn't make our SI-99, none of that. So a very underrated prospect, but still catching up to the speed of the game, but still physically could get after some folks. Looks all, like really, really a thin version of Trayvon Walker. Like he's a dude that's six five, pushing around 300 pounds, but doesn't look like he's filled out at 300 pounds. So I'm interested to see what he does. And, of course, everyone wants to talk about corners. I want to see what Jalen does. Of course I want to see what Keely Ringo looks like, but – uh, Amir Speed, too, haven't really seen him in an advanced role, uh, in an in-depth reps role in terms of getting 30, 45 reps in a game or in a game-like situation. So all those guys will be interesting to watch. But Nylon Green's the guy for me at corner that I'm really expecting to have a really good football game or a really good football scrimmage. Because if there's anything I've learned about that guy over two and a half years of covering him, just when the lights get brighter, man, he just turns on. There's just something different about that guy. He's, a real, he's got real stardom quality to him. And when you find someone, an athlete like that, at a skill position like that, if they've got that stardom quality to him, when the lights come on, they're most likely going to make a big play. So if, if Nylon Green reaches up tomorrow and absolutely snags one one-handed for an interception, don't be surprised because Brooks Austin told you right here. On the Top Dog Blog Talk, what is it? Talk, Top Dog Talk.
0: Top Dog Talk. Dog, talk, talk, talk. Yeah, I, I got to
1: say like Harrison. Top, dog talk, talk. Did I do okay?
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. That was Brooks Austin, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all hear the juice in his voice. You know, it's prime time. You know, we, we started recording this around 830. It's prime time. Prime time players always show up at prime time. We want to thank you, Brooks Dude, Austin, for joining us today. Already?
1: It's 940 already. My wife is going to kill me. <laughs> I got to get out of here.
0: Yes, sir. <laughs> it's top, dog talk. talk. That's what it is. Episode 23, the GOAT edition. We are excited for GA tomorrow. It's time for some spring football. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure you all go join Brooks Austin over on the YouTube around 140. If you want to watch with some live commentary, that's not just some two random ESPN people. If you want real commentary <laughs> with real you know thoughts and opinions, go over to Brooks. He is going to back it up with his whiteboard, and he's going to show you what George is doing, even though it will be vanilla, as he says. Thank you very much. That was Brooks Austin. I'm Harrison Reno, and that was episode 23 of the Top Dog Talk podcast.